we are, um, we are, should, should, we just, we should really just go back to the Mishnah. Let's go through the Mishnah quickly on Daf Yotesma Beis. Because uh, we did the Mishnah, last thing we did was the Mishnah on Yotesma Beis. Um, it's, most of it's pretty straightforward Gemara. Um, so let's, let's see if we can do this. And if not, that's okay too. We, we don't have to finish the parak today. Uh, let's just do it properly. That's most important. Okay. Ein solin basar betzel ubetzel ubeitza al solum ibodiyom. So the first clause of the Mishnah teaches us that you're not supposed to roast um, egg, um, uh, onions, eggs, and, uh, uh, sorry, meat, onion, and eggs, unless it's roasted before Shabbos begins, okay? So you have an open fire. The Mishnah is teaching us over here, you don't put something on the fire unless it's roasted, okay? So we'll have to understand, what does it mean, roasted? Uh, well done, rare, little bit, whatever. So we'll, we'll discuss that. We'll start that discussion uh, today, and it's going to be picked up in uh, a little while, really, on, on the Lamids, and mid, the mid-Lamids, when it picks up that discussion. Um, clause number two, similar one, a nos nimpas letanur im chashecha, or halacha two, uh, you don't put bread in the oven before dark, v'lo charara al-gabe gechalim, nor a biscuit on coals, ela kadeshi yikrimu, yotesma yikrimu panim ibodiom, unless the face becomes uh, crusted while it's still day, right? So meaning you're running before Shabbos and like, oh my, I forgot to put the challah up, right? It happens. Um, so a person has the dough. So the halacha is, you're only allowed to put it in if it has enough time to become crusted. crusted. Yeah, so we'll see which side. We'll get to that in a second. It becomes crusted um, before dark. So let's say you know it takes, I don't know, 10 minutes for the challah to, be, to, to develop a crust. You'd be allowed to put it in. If it's a minute before Shabbos, you would not be allowed to. Rabbi Lazar Omer, he is, as we'll see, more strict. The bottom side has to become crusted as well. And we'll see, uh, the, Gemara, um, the, the, the Gemara is ultimately going to explain that the Tanakhama is saying one side, and Rabbi Lazar is saying both sides have to become, uh, have to develop a crust. Okay, fine. Um, now we have some exceptions to this rule. Even though we said we're not allowed to put something in right before Shabbos, and again, what's the concern? Let's just spell this out, because we, we uh, just because uh, as review. Why are you not allowed to put something raw, undone? Why are you not allowed to put it up right before Shabbos? The concern is that since it's not cooked, you're going to stoke those coals, which would be a biblical bi- violation, and therefore you're not allowed to put these raw things on the fire right before Shabbos. Okay, that's the that's the rationale behind. So it's a rabbinic decree over here. We're we're just reviewing the Mishnah on your Testament base. Um, Okay. Yeah, so, uh, so again, all this is rabbinic consideration on, based on a concern that maybe people will uh, stoke the coals, which would be a biblical violation. Okay, now we're going to see some exceptions to this rule. You are allowed to lower the carbon Pesach into the fire right before Shabbos. Now, what's this? This is talking about a very specific scenario. Typically, again, we talked about this a little bit on Shabbos afternoon. Typically, Karban Pesach works like this. On Arab Pesach, you would go get your animal slaughtered in the Zara, in the courtyard of the Beis Amigdash. You'd bring your animal home or to wherever you're eating your Karban Pesach. And then at night, you would start roasting the our offering. And then you eat it. That's, that was the process. Now, you're allowed to roast things on Yom Tif. You're not allowed to roast things on Shabbos, right? So over here we're being taught that even though you don't have to roast the whole thing before Shabbos, which we said until now, or with regular meat, we just said that you have to have it roasted before Shabbos. When it comes to Karban Pesach, you're allowed to leave it on the fire right before Shabbos, even though it's a second before Shabbos, no problem. You don't have to wait till it's roasted, okay? We'll have to come back and understand why. Why is it that we have this exception when it comes to the Karban Pesach? Okay, we'll come back to that. Another exception, Umachizen esa'or bimeduras beis hamokad, 
Um, and when it, the, in, the, in the fire of Beis HaMokad, Beis HaMokad was a place in the base of Migdash where the Kohanim would heat up. We normally don't think about this, but, you know, Jerusalem could be a bit of a chilly place. And the floors of the base of Migdash are stone or marble, whatever it is. It's not exactly, uh, you know, uh, rugs. They didn't have Persian rugs on the floor of the base of Migdash. And the Kohanim are walking barefoot, right? They have very limited clothing. Okay, so, I don't know, in, in you know, December time, January time in Yerushalayim, it's pretty chilly. And so what they would do is they'd walk around, they would do their avoda, but then they would go back and there was a big fire pit which they would get warmed up in. It's in a place called Beis Hamokad. Okay, that was the place that was designated for their fire, for them to warm up on. Now, um, the halachas we're being taught over here that you're allowed to light a fire right before Shabbos in Beis Hamokad. You have like, a, again, a big bonfire. All the wood is set up. It's two minutes before Shabbos. You could drop the match in there. You could drop the little twig in there on, on fire and that's fine. Even though most of it did not catch on. Uvig that, that has nothing to do with cooking. But it, let, let's read the next line and then I'll explain. Uvigvulin, top line of Dafchaf, in the rest of Israel, or either anywhere else outside of the base of Migdash, Kedesh Techaz Haor Birubo. You must ensure that the fire catches on to everything. Why? For the same reason, the same concern of cooking. The concern is that if you put a match, if you ever lit a bonfire, made a fire outside, you know that sometimes it takes. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes a little bit takes. You have to then, you know, add pieces. You have to move the fire. All of that would be a biblical violation. So outside of the base of Migdash, you must ensure that the fire, that the wood, um, it says berubo. Most of the wood has to catch on, right? Because if it's a little bit of fire, um, you know, our, our uh, Thanksgiving ritual, my family, we just made it up, my, my wife and I and our kids, they, we, we make a bonfire on Thanksgiving. I don't know why. Uh, we go outside in the backyard and the kids... Because it's cold because the kids have a blast. It's great. It's fun. So it takes a while, right? It takes a while till you uh, till you get all the pieces going, right? So it's until until you're comfortable, until you could stand back. It takes a long time, right? So the halacha is that when most of the bonfire catches on and fire, then you're good to go. But if it's only partial, then you can't do it. Okay. So that's that's the halacha over here. But in the base of mikdash, you could drop the match, walk away. You're not concerned that someone's going to stoke the wood, coals, whatever. Okay, Rabbi Yehud. They did not have matches, right? So that, that's true, right? Not whatever those rocks and twigs they were using, whatever they were using. Rabbi, that's right. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, B'pachamein, calls you. When it comes to, um, uh, like, like coals, uh, basically things which are highly flammable. We'll see some other, some other examples of this. When it comes to things which are highly flammable, then the halacha is that there too, even if only a little bit catches on, right? Let's say you have a very wood, it takes a while. It could take a while for it to, to all catch on. But let's say you have a highly flammable uh, a pit made of a highly flammable substance, and we'll see some more examples of that. Then, even if you just drop the non-match, whatever they use, the piece of wood, right? There's a word for it, the piece of wood that has the fire. I don't know, whatever it is. Oh yeah, there's a word. Um, can't think of it. Whatever it is, the piece of wood that has the fire, uh, they drop that on a very flammable thing. That's a different story. Then it would be permitted. Okay. And the Beit Hamikdash didn't they have a lot of exceptions to yes, new, many many exceptions. Some of those are biblical, some of those are rabbinic, and we'll we'll discuss we'll we'll get into some of those exceptions hopefully today. Um, okay, make sense? Okay, that's a review. So basically, the the general thrust of this Mishnah is discussing the following: it's discussing um, rabbinic concern of people stoking coals, playing with fires. And because of that, we have certain restrictions to ensure that people don't stoke the fire or coals on Shabbos. Uh, one, one expression of that, one application of that is not to put not fully cooked food on the fire. And again, we're going to just touch upon that discussion today. But the discussion we revisit is all about 
putting up cholents, putting up your, your challah that you forgot to bake right before Shabbos, putting in the chicken in your fire right before Shabbos. All of that revolves around this discussion. Here we're talking about uncooked food. Because if it's uncooked, there's more of a concern that you might have to adjust the flame. You know, if you... It's partially cooked. Well, we'll get into right. We'll get into partially cooked. We'll get into all those different levels. But the general idea is that when there's a concern that I might adjust the flame, that is a biblical law. The rabbis therefore took a step back and created a fence and said, "Okay, since I'm concerned that I might stoke the coal, change the flame, which is biblical, therefore I'm not allowed to put raw food into the fire before Shabbos." Because in doing so, I'm entering into this concerning area, uh, you know, that I might go ahead and adjust the flame. Similarly, to start a fire um, when, uh, with something that's not so easily flammable, that's, that's not flammable, and not so easily igniting or ignitable, um, then, uh, then you would not be allowed to do so because of, again, the concern you might play around with the fire. And we saw the two exceptions, the Beis Migdash. For the Kohanim, their fire pit, and the Karban Pesach, which was done outside of the basement. Those are the two exceptions. That's food that you could put in right before Shabbos, and that's fire you could start right before Shabbos. What about food uh, that's like, it's three hours before Shabbos. Right, but good. But it's so you can't do that either. Well, well again, so, but based on this Mishnah, if it takes three hours, if you're talking about chicken, it takes two hours to cook a regular chicken. I don't know, in my oven, I think. It's, not, um, it's pieces of chicken. Yeah, so then certainly two at three hours before it'd be fully cooked. No problem. 20 minutes before, yeah. it's not fully cooked. What about an hour before, right? So that's where we're, that's, that's, we're going to touch upon that today. We're going to revisit that in, uh, I think, Daf Lamed Hey and Lamed Vav. Okay. Good? Yes? I'm just curious as to why we say that when it involves food, when it doesn't involve food, you're worried about the fire having already caught on. Once it's caught on, we're not worried about stoking anymore. You're talking about food, even if the fire is fully caught on, we are worried about stoking. Right. Well, well, because there's still something that has to change. Meaning, the point is like, what's the what's the objective? With the fire, the objective is I want to get my fire going, and the concern is if my fire is not going, I may go ahead and stoke the coals. It, with the food, the focus isn't the fire. The focus is, I mean, the fire is a part of the equation, but the focus is I want my food to be good, and as long as my food's not good, I may play around with the fire. And there's not that much of a problem if you if the, if the heat generated by your fire is 150 degrees versus 180. Just when you get warm. Uh, right. Uh, yeah, that could be. It depends on the scenario, right? It might depend on the scenario. Right, 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 right. Uh, parent that, uh, not parent, uh, related to this, we also do have a heightened concern when it comes to food. We do find more stringencies around food because. People are, you know, concerned. People, you know, want to make sure their meal is good. You know, you have guests, you want to whatever, whatever, whatever. And so there is a heightened concern in that you find certain stringencies with food that you don't find in other places because we recognize that there's something, you know, when there's an added incentive, then, you know, the, the, the rabbis play psychologist over here and they're afraid that, you know, you might want to really make sure you're, you know, you don't want to eat cereal for Friday night. So there's more of a added concern as well. Okay. The Kama. So ask the Gemara. The Gemara asks, all the Mishnah said was it has to be cooked. So does that have to be fully cooked? Does that, you know, at that point you're allowed to put it on the fire? Or is it less than that, right? So the comma means when the Mishnah said it has to be cooked, right? The Mishnah, again, the terminology was to the point that became roasted, okay? So how roasted, right? There's levels of roasted. There's fully roasted. There is partially roasted. What level are we talking about? And certain things are edible because people like oh. their steaks well done. Some oh. people like Good. Like um, rare, right? So ed edible. Ed edibility is going to be our a primary piece of our discussion right now. Right. Excellent. As opposed to personal taste. Exactly. Exactly. Vikama. So exactly. Amarav Lazar Amarav kidei sheitzolu mibodiyom kemaachal ben drusai. 
Okay, this 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 term might be uh, known to you. Uh, ben Drusai, This is a kind of an interesting one. Uh, this person's name. Uh, he is known. He was a. A, a, a bandit. Bandit in those days means he didn't just pickpocket people, he was killing people. And nonetheless, his name, to his, I don't know, he must have done something right, because we talk about Michael Ben Drusai all the time, and he gets a lot of credit. I don't know who this man was, other than being a bandit, but we talk about him all the time. So what do, what, what do we, what, what, why do we invoke this, this, this bandit? Because if you're a bandit, uh, you're on the run. And therefore, you don't have time. You don't stay in one location very long. And the meals you eat are not exactly, uh, you know, all, all prepared. Gourmet. You basically, as soon as it's ready, you have to extinguish your fire because you don't have, you don't play around with uh, fire. You don't play around with being able to be uh, seen uh, and, and discovered. And therefore, Ben Drusai, and really any bandit, but Ben Drusai, would cook his food partially. As soon as it became edible, he would eat it. No gourmet food, no fully cooked steaks, no fully cooked anything. As long it was, as it was partially cooked to the point that it was edible, he would go ahead and eat it. Now, uh, we'll, we'll, when we go to the Lamed Hayes and Lamed Vavs, we'll discuss what is that level. And the, there's a big debate among the Rishonim. Is it halfway cooked? Meaning, whatever food item, if you cook, let's say it takes two hours to cook chicken. I think so, around that, yeah, I don't know. So let's say you cooked it for an hour, then that would be, is that Michael Ben according to some opinions? According to other opinions, it's a third of the amount of time. Once it's a third of the amount of time, then you're ready to go. We'll get back to that, okay? But bottom line is, it's a point of edibility. Again, that's not really a word. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I don't know if edibility, yeah, anyway. Some things like chicken, if they're not fully, fully cooked, then they're not edible because then they're potentially Harmful. Yeah, they weren't so worried about that kind of stuff, right? Um, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. B- bottom line is... I mean, beef is something different than okay. poultry. So, right, it's, so the, it's a stri- across the board, the halacha is basically Michael Benjamin says, as long as it hits that point, and it's the universal... We can revisit this and, and, and talk about different foods, but the universal uh, um, you know, way of looking at this is half versus third, eat across the food, uh, across foods, regardless of it's poultry, uh, meat, and, and to your, your point is well taken. You're right. Some people, some food, you know, raw meat is, is you know, it's, it's delicacy, right? Um, uh, raw chicken, uh, you know, different story. Uh, but that being said, it's across the board. It's understood to be either a half or a third. At that point, it's, because it's considered to be edible and the bandits, the people on the run would eat it. That's enough. So just plug this in. So again, that means we go back to the Mishnah. The Mishnah said, you're only allowed to cook these things if they are already cooked before Shabbos. It doesn't mean fully cooked. So let's say uh, it takes, again, uh, an hour, two hours to cook a chicken. So according to the more stringent view, if I put my chicken into my, fu- into my oven an hour before Shabbos, then that would be totally fine. Why? Because by the time Shabbos starts, it's halfway cooked. It's machal ben drusai. And therefore, even though it's an uncovered fire, right? We're talking about an uncovered... So again, halacha lamaisa, this is practical. If it's two, you know, if it's 10 minutes before Shabbos and you really didn't cook the chicken, no, no. I wouldn't put it in the fire. I wouldn't put it in the oven, okay? But if you put it in an hour before and it takes two hours to cook, that would be 100% fine. So... Yeah, sorry. Oh, oh God, sorry. Why, why do we look for ben Side. Don't we usually go by Rove? Don't we usually go by... It's a good question. Uh, again, I think, I think it has to be taken into context. We're talking about like a stringency over here. We're not, we're not looking for, you know, how strict were the rabbis? And basically, I, 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 you know, it's not... Rove is, is more of a question of, you know, what, how do we define something? You know, Rove is a principle, you know, the, the way that the the Achronim, the, the way they look at Rove, when we talk about majority, it's not so much of a halachic principle, it's like this is the reality. In other words, when I ask you what color is the orange, so the truth is there are some yellow hues and other colors, but it's orange. So we say it's orange. That, that is what it is. Rove is not a matter of 
uh, a parameter. It's like rov. The reason we use rov is it's just big, exactly. It's the reality. The reality is that this is table is a table. The color of an orange is an orange, based on the majority, and the majority of what people do, that is the reality. Over here, we're talking about something else. We're not invoking halachic principles over here. We're, the, 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 the halacha is that the question is... clarify the vocabulary. Rove is a majority. Majority. I'm sorry. I thought I said it. I'm sorry to translate. I'm sorry. I'm so I'm sorry that... Uh, that so um, when it comes to this halacha over here, this is a rabbinic construct. And the question is, how strict were they when they made that construct? Um, I don't think they have, yeah, there's no uh, preconceived ideas of what they're going, what criteria they're going to use. So it's a stringency, and basically said, once it crosses a certain threshold, the, the level of concern has diminished enough. Of course, there still is a chance. Bottom line is, I'm not serving anyone a half-baked chicken. Not happening. But the point is that the concern is diminished enough. The rabbi said, okay, we're going to let it go at that point. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, the, that's the basic idea behind it. I mean, plus yeah. they, knew they wanted the people to have a Shabbos field. Yeah, so, so it's a balancing I mean, act. Good. It's a balancing act, right? They have to be concerned for Shabbos, which is their job, is yeah, to concern their concern, but also their job is to make sure we have food. Yeah, yeah, well, I suppose yeah. you got somebody's an experienced cook. Yeah. Right? And they put the... What I'm thinking of is there are times my wife has said, you know, it says for a turkey, for example, put it in the oven so many minutes per pound. Mm. All right. She does a quick calculation, and let's say, according to that calculation, it should take two and a half hours. You take it out of the oven, she says, wait a minute, this thing isn't cooked at all. So suppose you take that whole problem and superimpose it on here. You, you, you think, you've done right. the calculations right. that this thing is going to be Halfway Whatever cooked. Right. Half cooked. Yeah. Before Shabbos. Take yeah. it out right after Shabbos. Right. Oh, and experience right. can tell this isn't cooked yet. Right. Can you put it back on? You're saying, would I be able to leave? Right. So I'd able to put, put it back, back into the oven at that point. It's a good question. It's a good question. It's a good question. I'm not. Yeah. Right. Experience that, oh, this isn't good. This Probably this not, right? Because at that point, at that point, you now know that, meaning you had every right based on Rove to rely on the experts, okay? You had every right to rely on them, and had you not checked, you would have been fine. Because, right. again, the rabbis demand of you to make sure right. that it's halfway cooked. But once you check it a minute before Shabbos and say, oh, whoops, they didn't know what they are talking about, my oven works differently or whatever, yeah. then I don't, I don't see a reason why you'd be allowed to rely on your misconception at that point. At this point, I know it. And therefore, the answer is, oh, it's not halfway cooked? I can't leave it here. I'd have to take it out and eat cereal. So what if you... I'd have to take it out and eat cereal, I said. Um, oh, and eat cereal. Yeah. I mean, in other words, I, I, you had every right to rely on them, but once you know differently... Then it's a new question, and okay. I, I, right? I guess, it, yeah, yes. So, this is so maybe a minute before Shabbos, it wouldn't. You can't check it and put it back in, but so you're say, risky. So don't check it. That's what I'm right. suggesting. Don't so check risk. it. Don't check. You sometimes lack of knowledge. We have that in halacha many times. You know, you did what you had to do. You don't look. You don't look. You know. Uh, you know. Whatever. That can example. There's if some you very. Don't rel- want the answer? Don't ask the question. Well, I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's certain scenarios that that that, that that's well, that. that's sort no. There of are scenarios meaning well, with taras and mishpacha with 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 right. scenarios of, of being anida. So there are certain scenarios we tell women don't you know there's certain times don't don't look you know you sometimes don't you have to have check strength. and certain times right. don't look you don't look and if you don't see it you don't have an obligation to be worried about it right so whatever yes but you got something. All right. So say the turkey hypothetical yeah. turkey takes three hours to cook. And then an hour before Shabbos, you checked it. So again, you'd have to make a calculation then. Is it halfway cooked now? So then you have a new question. But if you're an inexperienced cook, then you don't know what halfway cooked is. Okay, so you'd have so to... So maybe you would say, oh, 
Yeah, maybe this. Yeah, this is halfway cooked. So whatever, however you come to that conclusion, the, ra- the, the rabbis did not go so far as to say you have to rely on X or Y or Z. However, we would normally come to a conclusion of what halfway cooked is. You know, when it comes to cholin, so I, I remember giving a class about this many, many years ago, about uh, how long should your cholin, if you have an uncovered crockpot, meaning, uh, you know, there's no, uh, a crockpot is a fire, right? And you have, and you have adjustments, medium, light. Yeah. So basically, if you put it in, you know, how many hours before Shabbos are you supposed to put up a crockpot? Now, again, when we get to Lamed Hayes, Lamed Fabs, we'll see there are ways of, of, of avoiding some of this by, by covering the fire in some way, which we'll get to. Okay, but in the meantime, so the question is, if you just have your regular crockpot, you want to put the cholent up, how many hours before? So I went and I asked a cook, and he told me, you know, it takes X amount of hours to cook a regular thing. So you rely on it. And then that's, that's, that's how you typically know times. I don't know. That's how long it takes based on that, that, that reliance. Yeah, we ask the question, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. So then, I don't know, you have to find out, right? You have to find out what, what would be the normal amount of time it takes to, to cook these things. Okay, let's go a little further. So, Ain, oh, sorry. Tanya, Chananya, Omer. Um, sorry, did I skip? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. A very important line. It's Barnami. Right, we have four lines down. Another uh, teaching to this effect. Amr of Asti, Amr of Yochanan. Koshu Kemaichel Ben Drusai. Eimbo Mishum Bishul Bishule Nachrim. If it is cooked... To the point of Bendrusai, it is considered cooked enough that it doesn't fall under the prohibition of Bishol Akum. Now here we have another rabbinic prohibition. There was a concern, a very legitimate, not was, legitimate concern that what brings people together more than anything else? Food. Food. And so basically there are many stringencies around food to ensure a lack of social, a, 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 a diminishment of socialization, right? We want to, uh, we want, the more we're together, the more concern there was going to be of intermarriage, right? As one, one person put it, you know, forget more than Shabbos kept the Jews, the Jews kept Shabbos, and more than Jews kept Shabbos, Shabbos kept the Jews, more than any other halacha Possibly this one was probably the most far, uh, f- far reaching and far, you know, the most, uh, they, they had a good view. They, 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 this, this enactment more than anything else probably saved the Jewish people. Because there are many things that are kosher, right? But you can have a meal together with someone else. Um, and the halacha is that a thing that, item that's cooked by a non-Jew, we're not allowed to eat. Now, what does that mean for all the, so there are many exceptions to this rule. You know, things which are uh, perhaps certain scenarios of mass cooking or mass baking. Uh, it has to be a food which is fit for the table of a king. Okay, so it's not just any food. It has to be food which is significant food, not insignificant food. There's a whole big debate among the postman about potato right. chips. chips. Potato Tuna chips. Uh, is that something, right? Tuna fish, right? Is that something which would go on a table of a king? So what's your modern day king? The president. Well, our president likes fast food. What do you do now? And our last one did too. It's not political. Um, so what do you do then? Okay, so right, big discussion. You're allowed to eat the potato chips, ladies' potato chips. They still got the after. But it's an interesting discussion. But the point is that the halacha is like this. It's only, once it's cooked, then if they put it back on the fire, it's fine. So let's say you have, and this comes up in restaurants, right? Um, especially in, you know, you have food which is pre-cooked. They take it out of the oven. They take it out of the fridge, excuse me, and they put it back on the fire. Well, let's say it was already cooked. There's no problem. No problem. Right? Like, right? So it's already cooked, right? So the, so the question is, at what point is it already considered cooked? The answer is, kemachal ben drusai. Once it crossed the threshold of edible, then their input is insignificant enough, and the rabbis didn't go so far. Could they have gone further? Sure. But again, we see just a similar scenario when the rabbis made enactments, they stopped at Machel Ben Drusai. Okay? That's the, that's the, the basic principle. Machel Ben Drusai, you see, when with rabbinic enactments, they considered edible to be cooked for their rabbinic laws. Okay? So it's just another place where we find Machel Ben Drusai mentioned explicitly, and therefore we're using that to interpret our Mishnah. Because the Mishnah just said, Kedesh Yitzolu. What does Yitzolu mean? Well, we see in other places, Machel Ben Drusai is enough of a threshold. Presumably, it would be the same thing here.
Okay. Chanan um, Tanya, we have a Brisa. Chanania Omer. Uh, anything that is cooked to the level of machel ben drusai, you're allowed to leave it on the oven. Here is an oven. Even though the coals are not shoveled away or covered. Okay, so we'll see why that's significant because later on we're going to see two things. One, we're going to see uh, this whole discussion about if things are, so you have an oven which is still hot, but the coals are covered. Okay, um, so the coals are covered, uh, you know, it, maybe it diminishes the heat, maybe it just reminds you not to stoke the coals, right? Um, so then, if it's covered, then, you know, the concern of stoking the coals is less pronounced, and therefore, there's more leniency. So Hanani over here is saying that no, even if it's not covered, even if the coals aren't shoveled away, and there still is that concern of stoking, once it hits Machel Ben Drusai, you don't have to worry about it. Okay, we'll also see later on that not everyone agrees this threshold. Uh, the Chachamim are more stringent and say no, it has to be fully cooked. Yeah, we'll get, we'll get there, we'll get there. Okay, so good, good, excellent. So we'll get there. Okay, let's go a little further in our uh, Mishnah. Enos Nesapas. Okay, so this we kind of already spoke out. We saw the Mishnah said that you're not allowed to place bread in an oven unless it crusts. And Rabbi Lazar says that not just a crusting, but its face has to be crusted. Okay? So the Gemara asks like this. When um, Rabbi Lazar said it has to be crusted, so Rabbi Lazar said that that has to be crusted. Which side was he talking about? The side that go that faces the fire. Let's keep in mind what their ovens look like. I don't have right. They had like you basically have like a dome. We talked about this two weeks ago when we talked about this mission. You have a dome of sorts. Okay, you have a fire over here, and they, where would they put the bread? It's it's sticky. Stick it against the wall. So part of it's facing the fire, other parts against the hot oven. Okay. So Rabbi Eliezer is saying that. So the Gemara is asking, which side does he necessitate it to be crusted? Is the side facing the fire? Okay, or is it the side which faces the oven? So Tashma, the Gemara answers with a brisa, which is a little more explicit. Excuse me, to the point that the side which is attached to the oven becomes crusted. Okay, which is more stringent, right? Meaning the one that's facing the fire is going to get first. crusted first. So the first opinion was saying it has to be crusted meaning the side facing the fire, just one side, which is more lenient. Really, as you're saying, no, both sides, both the side facing the fire and the side on the oven, right, that side also has to get crusted. He's a little more stringent. Okay, fine. How do you calculate these times? I don't know exactly. You know, I'm sure you could ask a baker how long it would take in a typical oven for these, uh, for these things to... Those to... ovens were different than when we have it. Right, but it's that, that principle that enough of it... Right. The principle, the principle, though, is at what point, you know, I'm sure there's, we, could, we could pull everyone over here. I don't know. I like the, I like the un, unbaked, the, the raw dough, you know, in my challah. You know, not everyone else does, right? So at what point is it edible enough that you're not going to be so concerned that you'd serve it, right? So that, that's the... Edible to a majority or... No, suppose you're, if you're the outlier... Right, you don't count. You don't, that, count. You don't count, right. right. But over here, we have a threshold. The threshold is, and again, you're still in the oven when Shabbos starts, right? The, the question is, at what point is it baked enough that you are going to be not concerned at that point? Again, you're not going to eat it for another half hour, let's say. Right. But the point is that, at what point is it baked enough that you're, you're just... Uh, it's usable. Yeah, it's usable, and therefore you're even not worried so much more, about it. Even though it's going to be more well done... When you take it out of the oven, right. more or less well done. The point, right? Right, right. Still, the heat is still going to cook it more. Right, it's right. still going to be changed, but it's crossed the threshold. Yeah. We're going to leave yeah. it alone. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, good. 
Let's go a little further in the analyzing the Mishnah Mishalshlem Sepesach. We're towards the end of the Mishnah. The Mishnah said that the exception is that you are allowed to roast the carbon Pesach on Friday right before Shabbos. And you're not worried about people stoking the coals. My time, oh why? Mishum de chabura zrizenhein. Because those gathered in this gathering are very, um, are very, um, it's careful is a good word. Excellent. They're careful. Um, like from Zihirut, right? There, there's a certain, uh, we typically, right, we typically see reason as fast. But over here it comes to the word Zihirut. They're very Zihirut. concerned. Why? You know, it's a religious gathering. It's not just, you know, our regular Shabbos meal. I invite, we invite, we all come together at my house for a meal. Okay, it's a Friday night meal, but... You know, carbon Pesach, Pesach is a holy time. We're once about to eat an offering. Once right? It's once a year. We're about to eat an offering. We're very stringent. No one's going to be, you know, no one's going to be lenient. Right, but it's not any group. That's why I want to emphasize. Meaning, it's not just that there's 10 people here. The point is that carbon Pesach, it's a, it's kachim. It's, it's, a, it's a holy offering. And therefore, no one's going to play around. We're going to be very strict. And therefore, when the rabbis made their decree, again, there's a rabbinic decree, they made exceptions. One exception was for carbon Pesach, it's a holy enough setting. People are going to be strict enough. Pesach has a certain stringency to it. There's a group of people making the Karma Pesach. We're not concerned that someone's going to mistakenly stoke the coals, and therefore you could put it up right before Shabbos. Okay. But the Gemara asks, and uh, this harkens back to a Gemara we had a, a, little, a little not too long ago. Halav Hachi, the Gemara asks, wait, if this is not the case, lo, you would not be allowed to leave a... This go again. What what type of animal is this? It's a lamb or a goat, right? Uh, the, the, so we're saying over here, without this, you would not be allowed to leave a goat or a lamb on a fire right before Shabbos. The Amar Mar, okay. We we had a Gemara Daf Yudchesim and Beis that said Gadya a a, uh, a a sorry kid. a kid exactly a kid. Thank you. Bein Sharik Bein Lo Sharik. Whether the oven is sealed or not sealed, shop your dummy. The Gemara told us you're allowed to leave a kid on a fire right before Shabbos, and you're not afraid of stoking the coals. Why? If you recall, the Gemara said, because stoking the coals, because it's such a fine meat, it, there's a, it, it, everyone knows staking the, soaking the coals would actually damage it. The smoke would get into the meat. I don't know enough about meat, but you know, there's certain times when you would get, it would get a charcoal-y taste. So no one stokes the coals with, with, with kid meat. So the implication of this Gemara is it's only because of the Korban Pesach. But we had an earlier Gemara that told us all types of kids Goats, lamb, right? The baby, uh, young, long, young lamb, kid, uh, goats. Uh, you'd be allowed to uh, leave on a fire, and, and we're not afraid of you stoking the coals. So answers the Gemara, no. Hasam mintach, hacha lo mintach. There, the Gemara was talking about chopped meat. When it's chopped and very uh, fine and tender, then there's a concern. Then there's no concern you're going to stoke the coals because it would truly ruin the meat. When you have, as the carbon pesach was roasted whole. They stuck it on, it's like a shawarma, right? They basically had a, a, a stick, a spit, a spit, and they put the animal there as one. It's a little tougher then. And there, the rabbis never, if, it's, if you're just putting up a lamb for Shabbos meal, you would not be allowed to put it on right before Shabbos, because there you are concerned of stoking. For the carbon Pesach, there's an exception. But it's true. Had you cut it up, something you can't do for the carbon Pesach, had you cut it up and put it on a fire, there they would not be a concern of you stoking the coals. Okay? Fine. Let's go a little further. The Gemara now uh, goes to the next exception that said that in the base Hamokad, in the, in the, the room in the base of Migdash, where the Kohanim would heat themselves, warm themselves up, there you're allowed to leave, uh, there you're allowed to, to start the fire right before Shabbos. Ask the Gemara, Minani Mili, where does this come from? Where's the source for this idea? Amar Ravhuna, Ravhuna says, from the Pasuk in Shemos, Lo esh the Pasuk says about Shabbos, they are not allowed to start a fire in your homes, in your settlements. 
So infers Rav Huna from there. You are not allowed to light a fire in your home. But you are allowed to light a fire in Beis HaMokad, in the Beis HaMikdash. Now there should be an obvious question. Ask the Gemara, Wait, if that's so, then Afilu B'Shabbos Nami. Why does the Mishnah say you're only allowed to start the fire right before Shabbos? We're not afraid you're going to stoke the coals in Beis HaMokad. According to Rav Huna's interpretation of that verse, you should be able to start the fire, start the fire on Shabbos itself. Because the Pasuk, according to this interpretation, said, the prohibition against fire is in your home, not in the base of Migdash. So if that's the case, forget starting it right before Shabbos. You'd be allowed to do it on Shabbos. Anytime. Anytime, right. So, Rav Chizda says, no, you misunderstood the Pasuk. The Pasuk allows not any activity in the base of Migdash. <coughs> it allows necessary base of Migdash type activities in the, in the base of Mikdash, meaning the Karbanos, right? We ran on Shabbos. The Karban Tamid is brought on, on we have the, the offerings of Shabbos are brought on Shabbos. No personal offerings are brought on Shabbos, but the, the, the Karban Tamid, the Karban Musaf of Shabbos, that's all brought in the base of Mikdash. And, and, the, and the burning of the fats and all the animal, that the Torah is telling us you're allowed to do on Shabbos on, in the base of Mikdash. But that's because it's part of the general obligation of the Karbanos. Anything else, something which is um, not intrinsic part of the Avodah, the Kohanim have to be warm. Okay, but that's not the Avodah, that's parenthetical. That's, that's, that's incidental to their Avodah. It's true the Kohanim have to be warmed up, but that's not part of the Avodah space of Megdash. That really, there is no biblical dispensation for. So why then are the Kohanim, and therefore they cannot start that fire on Shabbos to warm themselves up. Why then are they allowed to start it right before Shabbos? The Kohanim Zrizin Hain. Similar to what we saw in the context of the Karban Pesach, so over here we're being taught not the Kohanim in their own home. Sorry, Abe. They can't in their own home start a fire before Shabbos, but Kohanim in the context of the Beis Amigdash. They're in the Beis Amigdash. They're in the, the grounds of the Beis Amigdash. And they are a group of people together warming themselves up. We're not afraid that they're going to go and violate the laws of Shabbos. It's not... It's, not, it's unlikely, right? We're more think, we think more about Shabbos in our shul, right? You know, practically, than, than, than we do at home, right? It's more in our mind. So the Kohanim, who in general are the, the people, the, the priests, and they're in the base of Mikdash, we're not afraid they're going to stoke the coals, and therefore you could start right before Shabbos. But a Kohen at home, or a group of people, you know, then you would not be able to, to do so. Again, these are two exceptions. Yeah. So based on this concept, you're saying that for the purpose of a carbon, they could even start the fire on Shabbos? Yes, yeah. yes. You'd be allowed to start the fire on Shabbos. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Now, practically, they, you know, according to our tradition, the fire kind of was tamid. It was, they had a constant fire, but theoretically, they'd be allowed, if it was extinguished, they'd be allowed to start the fire to, to, to burn the carbonos. Yeah. So if, they, if you did, in your own home, start right before Shabbat, the fire, you'd be over the Rabbana. Yes. And in the Beit HaMikdash, weren't they pretty makele about the Rabbanans in general? But the starting point is here. Uh -huh. Yes. But they know that from here, meaning many rabbinic laws get waived, but they're discussed in, 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 in this context. This is one of them. You're absolutely right. There are many rabbinic laws that get waived, but we analyze each one and we see what the rabbis decide. It's not just a general rule. Rabbinic laws don't apply in the base of Mikdash, um, but you're right. Uh, there are many rabbinic leniencies in the base of Mikdash. This is, this is one of them. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Um, okay. So now the, the final discussion. Um, is about, we said, outside of the base of Megdash, the wood has to be, what the Mishnah said, Shetechos Rubo. Then most of the wood, 
gets uh, ignited, then you're allowed to, so let's say it's right before Shabbos, you're not allowed to start a fire, but if you start a fire with enough time that most of the fire is, uh, is caught on, then you would be allowed to do that and allow the fire to remain on Shabbos, okay? So, my rubo, what does it mean most? Okay, let's see, we'll see two opinions. Amarav, rov kol echad ve'echad. Each log or each piece of wood has to be mostly consumed. Okay, obviously, you know, I don't know how exactly to assess this, but we'll see what the opposite is. Ushmuel Omer, yomru hava eitzim tachtehen. To the point that uh, you don't have to say that there's enough there that you don't have to worry about adding more wood. Okay? So one opinion says each piece of wood has to have the majority, has to be caught on with fire. Shmuel, it seems, is more lenient and is saying, no, don't have to catch on each piece of wood. But as long as the fire has already picked up, you know, anyone who's made bonfires, no. You're, you're, not, going, you're not in the fear of it going out. Going out, yeah, exactly. exactly. You don't have to, exactly. It's already, it's lit. It can lit. continue on its own. It can continue on its own, exactly, which is a lower threshold. Right, right? exactly. Tana Ravchia, Lissiyu Lishmuel. We have a Brisa which is uh, brought in support of Shmuel. To the point that the fire, the flame, goes on its own and doesn't go based on something else. Exactly that idea, that it's able to go on its own. That we're not worried about it going out and we are confident at this point that it will continue without us manipulating it. Fine. What about a single piece of wood? Rav Oma, right? Let's say you have one log, right? In your, your fireplace. Let's say you put one log out. How much has to be caught on? Rav Amar Rov Avyo. Um, Rav says most of its uh, thickness, okay, so let's say, you know, it's a thick log, you know, whatever the left, whatever doesn't matter how thick it is, but most of it has to be already ignited. The Amrila Birov Hekefo. The other opinion says not that most of it has to go through it, but rather the circumference has to get caught on, which is a more lenient view, right? It doesn't have to get to the inside of the wood as long as the outside, uh, the outside of it is already, uh, you're starting to get singed or whatever, ignited a little bit, that's enough. Okay. Amra Papa. There, Rapapas comes along and says, Hilkach, since we have these two views attributed to Rav, and we don't know which one is the right one, Be'inan rov avya uvi'inan rov akefa. Rapapa, later stage, comes along and says, well, we're going to default to both of those. You need the majority of it through it, and you need the majority of it, because it depends on where you're lighting, right? Sometimes the fire is going to just go this way. Sometimes the fire will go from the bottom as well. You need both. You need the circumference to already been singed, and you need the fire to have already extended through half the log. Okay. Kitanai. The Gemara says this is a machlokes tanaim. This is, uh, this goes back to an earlier place. Ravchia Amar Kedesha Yishcha Sa'itz Mimelecha Sa'uman. Ravchia says that it has to be no longer fit for an uman, for a craftsman to use. The understanding is that this is halfway through. Once it goes through, meaning the outer parts of it doesn't, you know, if you just singe the outer part of a piece of wood, you could still use it for most things. But if it starts going through the piece of wood, then it's ruined. So the first opinion says is, is when it comes to the point where it's no longer fit for the uman, for the craftsman to use, which means most of the thickness. Rabbi Yehuda ben Becerra Omer, or Stadin, that it has to go on both sides, i.e. similar to the circumference view. Even though there's no proof to this, there is an allusion to it in the Pasuk in Yecheskel. Okay, it's an interesting proof because it's a little bit ambiguous, but the Pasuk says, uh, it's, refer- it's giving an analogy of the Jewish people, and it says, Yecheskel, the Navi says, that if the both edges of the, the, edges of the wood got consumed by fire and the inside is uh, dried out, is it going to be fit for work? No. Uh, it's not. Once the outer edges are already ruined, it's already ruined. For, it's enough 
okay, if that's the best proof or not, the, the, the commentators discussed, it's not, because it actually implies like the other approach, but we're not going to get too deep into that. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> we're not going to finish the parak today. God willing, we'll, we'll try to finish the parak next week. Okay, have a great day. Isn't it also unusual to bring that?